Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're so glad you've decided to join us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your heart and mind as our pastor, Chip Pendleton, brings us the Word of God. Well, good morning. It's great to see you this morning. I want to welcome everyone that is watching online and everyone that's watching on Spectrum Cable as well. We're really glad to have you with us today. We're completing a sermon series uh, that we've done in the book of Nehemiah. We've looked at the first five chapters of Nehemiah. We're going through chapter six today. And uh, basically, we've been looking at Nehemiah rebuilding the wall. We've called this series Fixer Upper. It started at the beginning of the year. And we said, what's an area of your life that you want to fix up? Uh, and what we've seen so far in the book of Nehemiah is that Nehemiah says the first thing you need to do is to identify the problem clearly. What is the problem? What is the challenge? To clearly get that in your mind. The next thing you do is you take it to God. Okay, this is an area in my life that needs to be improved. Then you take it to God. That's the initial starting point before you do anything else is you take it to God. Then you form a plan. You gather resources, and you realize that there are going to be problems and challenges along the way. So that's kind of what we've looked at uh, over the last five weeks. And today, uh, we're finally getting to the end of the rebuilding of the wall, and we have the big reveal. Uh, if you've ever watched Fixer Upper, that, that, uh, that TV show, you know that you go through the entire episode, and then in the last five minutes, they have the big reveal where they actually show you everything they've done. Now, you've gotten little snippets of it, but you haven't seen the big picture. Uh, here is uh, Chip and Joanna ready to pull apart. That's a picture of what the house originally looked like. You can see it in the back there. Uh, they're having the big reveal. They're finally finished with everything they've done the entire show. Well, we're getting to the end of what we've seen in the book of Nehemiah. We're ready for the big reveal. But before the big reveal happens, something always takes place in the show Fixer Upper. And that's the staging. The staging where they bring in the furniture and they bring in uh, all of the little decorations. They actually put the shrubs around the house. Now, what you might not know is that the homeowners get to keep none of that stuff. Uh, anything you see that they're doing in staging, that's all brought in. All the furniture is removed. Even the shrubs are taken back out of the ground and all of that. Now, the homeowners have the opportunity to purchase that stuff, but it's not something that they just have automatically uh, that's there. But that staging then becomes very important to help you to see what it really looks like. Joanna Gaines said that when they first started the show, when they started the staging, that she had Chip and the kids stay with her. It was going to be a nice family time. She said that didn't work at all. So the kids got bored quickly. Chip was a constant distraction. And she finally said, okay, from now on, when we do staging, I'm going to do it by myself because I just have to have this time to really think about what I'm doing and to get it just right. Well, in the book of Nehemiah, in chapter 6, we're now to that staging part where we're putting everything together. We're right near the end, but we're not quite at the very, very uh, last thing. So let's look over into Nehemiah chapter 6. And the first thing we see is this. Even as you approach your goal, there will be constant obstacles ahead. Even as you approach your goal, there will be constant obstacles that will be ahead. Look at verses 1 through 4. When word came to Sambalit, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, 
that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors and the gates, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let's meet together in one of the villages on the plains of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. And so I sent messengers to them with this reply. I'm carrying on a great project. I cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message, and each time I gave them the same reply. So what we see here as we start in verse 1 is that basically the wall has been totally rebuilt. It's been rebuilt to the sense that there's not even any gaps in it. And so everything seems to have been finished. The only thing left is that the gates aren't up. Uh, the door frames are in and all of that, but the gates aren't up. So enemies could still get through because there's no doors, no gates uh, that are in. But the wall itself has been completely finished. They're so close to being completely through. Now, if you were Nehemiah, what you would think is if we've gone this far, if we've rebuilt all of this, if the entire wall is up without any gaps, surely the hard part is over. Surely there's not going to be any more trouble. Surely there's not going to be any more obstacles. But that's not true at all. What you're going to find in your life as you're trying to put together an area of your life, as you're trying to get closer to God, as you're trying to, to, to stop uh, an area of your life that seems to be out of control and bring it under God's leadership, you might find the closer you get to the finish line, the harder it's going to be. Some people say the last few miles of a race are the hardest if you're running a marathon because you're tired, your mind's been working on you, you just want to quit as you get there. Nehemiah is getting near the end. Everything is almost finished, but the opposition doesn't stop. Sambalit, Tobiah, and Geshem, who were kind of like regional leaders uh, in, in that area, uh, they were not happy at all that he was rebuilding the wall. And so they invite him to come to a village on the plain of Ono. Now, this was outside Joppa. It was uh, about 30 miles or so uh, from Jerusalem. It would have been a, a good day's journey on horseback. They say, come and meet us there, and let's solve all of our problems. But Nehemiah said, I knew what they really wanted to do was to harm me. Now, it goes beyond they wanted to harm him. What they want to do is kill Nehemiah. They couldn't stop the rebuilding of the wall. It's not quite finished, so they're going to put to death the person that's doing it. They're going to assassinate him. And Nehemiah knows they're going to assassinate him. So he says, hey, you know what? Uh, you know, this is a trick. I'm not going. I'm rebuilding the wall. Uh, I don't have time to stop and come to you. They do it four times. They just keep doing it over and over again. So you think, look, I'm almost done. It's almost complete. And then you have the opposition come. Come on, you know, uh, they're trying to trick you to kill you. Then they do it a second time. Then they do it a third time. Then they do it a fourth time. And you begin to think, my goodness, we're so close. Won't things ever just get a little bit easier? The simple fact of the matter is that whenever you're trying to put together your life for the glory of God, your enemy Satan and the problems around you aren't going to stop because Satan doesn't want you to finish your life and get it better. He doesn't want you to get your life the way it should be. There's going to be constant challenges and problems and troubles and distractions and interruptions that you'll think will never end even as you get near the finish line. If you've ever watched a football game before, you'll see that sometimes the offense will just run the ball down the field for 80 yards. And then they get into what's called the red zone. The red zone from the 20-yard end and 20 yards and end to the touchdown. And it, suddenly the defense gets a whole lot tougher. 
Uh, you know, and it's like they have to fight for every yard in that red zone. And sometimes that's what it's going to be like as you're trying to put together your life with God. The closer you get to the finish line, the more it's going to be like you're in that red zone and you're having to fight tooth and tooth and nail to get to where you want to be. Read an interesting story uh, this week online. Uh, anybody here ever watch Blues Clues with your kids when you were growing up? Okay, some of you there. Uh, my kids uh, loved Blue's Clues. And uh, this was the original Blue's Clues with a guy by the name of Steve Burns. There's Steve right there. That's the Blue's Clues guy that I remember, not these new people that are out there uh, today, Steve Burns. Well, there's an interesting story about Steve Burns this week. Uh, when he first started Blue's Clues and it got real popular around the year 2000 or so, there was a young boy by the name of Brandon Ragland who had stage four cancer. And he got to be a part of the Make-A-Wish Foundation. And his wish was, all I want to do is meet the guy on Blue's Clues. And so they set it up. And here's actually a picture of him and Brandon uh, meeting uh, there around 2000. Uh, they got to have a, a great meal of, uh, of uh, French fries and uh, all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, uh, they said it was, he said it was the greatest day of his life up to that moment, to meet the real Blue's Clues guy. So think about this. All you've wanted was to get him make a wish. All you've wanted was to meet the Blues Clues guy. You do it. You have a great afternoon. So suddenly all your problems and troubles are over, right? No, not at all. He still had stage four cancer. And it was a long, tough struggle as he grew up and fought that cancer. Today it's in remission. This was 20 years ago uh, that that picture was taking place. And this past week, uh, Steve Burns went to Comic-Con in Pittsburgh, where they have like a little local Comic-Con, and that's where Brandon lived. And Brandon went, stood in line to meet him, and they got up together and said, hey, you probably don't remember me. I was the Make-A-Wish guy. And Steve Burns starts crying and says, I don't remember. What are you talking about? You were the very first person that ever said they wanted to meet me for Make-A-Wish. And so they got back together and all that, but the process was a long, hard process to get there, and that's what you're going to see in your life. And that brings us to the second thing that we see. Sometimes the constant struggle will get close to breaking your resolve. Sometimes the constant struggle will get close to breaking your resolve. Now remember where Nehemiah is. The wall is finished. No gaps. The only thing remaining is to put the gates in. Everything else is finished, and yet there seems to be constant, constant opposition, constant problems, constant interruptions. And that's the thing. As you try to get closer to God and you get near the finish line, it's just not going to stop. And sometimes the negativity, the interruptions, and the problems will get to be overwhelming. Look down to verse 5. Then the fifth time, Sambalit sent this aid, this aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter, meaning that everybody knew what was in the letter, in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it's true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king, and have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king, so come, let's meet together. And I sent this reply, nothing that you were saying is happening, you're just making it up in your head. And so here is Nehemiah, for a fifth time, 
they come and say, let's meet in the plains of Ono so that they can assassinate him. But they say something different the fifth time. The fifth time they know, they say this, we know you're rebelling against the king of Persia. You're a rebel. You're trying to establish your own kingdom in Jerusalem. And what we're going to do is sing word back to the king of Persia that you're a traitor so that he'll come and kill you. So here's Nehemiah. All I got to do is put in the gates. They're trying to kill me, and now I'm going to be accused of being a traitor uh, by the king. And so suddenly everything begins to change. Now look at the very next verse uh, as we go down, verse 9. They were trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work, and it will never be completed. What was the purpose of all of this? One time, two times, three times, four times, five times. The purpose was to frighten them and to make their hands weaker. There comes a time when you're trying to get your life together and you're trying to get better and you're trying to live the way that God wants you to and there seems to be constant opposition that you just want to give up. It just seems to be constantly coming at me. Nothing ever seems to be easy and it frightens you sometimes. It makes your hands weak. And that's exactly what's going on with Nehemiah and the people here. You can get discouraged as you go through this. So what do you do when those times come? When you get discouraged and you think, God, I just don't know if I can go on anymore. It's just hard. It's, it, I thought it would be easier than this. Even when you've come a long way, sometimes all you can see is the opposition in front of you. Well, you do exactly what Nehemiah did. Look down to verse 9. I want to read the whole verse again. They were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak the work for the work, and it will never be completed. But I prayed. Now strengthen my hands. What have we seen about Nehemiah every time a problem and a trouble came up? We've seen he took it to God. He didn't try to handle it himself. He didn't say, I'm big and tough. We're almost through. We can get through this. He constantly takes it to God. How did he start the process? There was a problem. And the very first thing he did was fast and pray and take it to God. When you feel overwhelmed in your life, when you feel like problems aren't stopping, what you need to do is take it to God. And God will be there each and every time to help you through, just like he was with Nehemiah. Keep reading verse 10. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Diliab, the son of Mehethabel, who was shut up in his house. And he said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple because men are coming to kill you by night. They are coming to kill you. So, okay, he meets this challenge. He takes it to God. He leaves praying to God. Okay, God, I've got resources. I've got strength. We're almost done. And then he gets a message. They're not waiting for the plains of Ono. They've come to kill you right now. Flee to the temple. Hide in the temple. Now, what's the purpose of all of this? They're trying to make it look like Nehemiah is afraid and running and not standing up to the threats that before him, and it will discredit him in front of the people. So they've tried to assassinate him. They've tried to accuse him of being a traitor, and now they're trying to discredit him in front of the people. At some point, you just say, okay, you know, I just want to give up. You know, what's going on here? Why doesn't this ever stop? Verse 11, but I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized God had not sent him. 
He had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sambalat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this, and then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember Tobiah and Sambalat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So again, he takes it to God each and every time. There will be times that you have to decide what you're going to focus on. Focus will be primary. If you focus on your problem, the problem will always seem large and in your face. You have to focus on God. And when you focus on the problem, everything gets out of control. That's why Nehemiah, the secret he had, he constantly took it back to God. I've got a couple of secular quotes here uh, on focus. Here's the, here's the first one. Focus 90% of your time on the solution, 10% of your time on the problem. And what uh, D'Angelo is trying to say here is, okay, I've got a problem, I look at the problem, I identify the problem, and I'm through with the problem. From then on, I'm on to the solution. Because if you keep on with the problem, you'll never solve it. The problem just becomes overwhelming. Tony Robbins, the, the, uh, the personal guru, uh, how do you make your life better guy, he says this, your life is controlled by what you focus on. What are you thinking about? What are you focusing on? That's what's going to control your life. So if what you're thinking about are your problems, your troubles, that will be what controls your life. And so here is the last one that I would have for you. Focus on God, not your problems. That's what Nehemiah did. If you focus on God, no matter how big your problem is, you say, my God rules the world, has all power, all authority, loves me, sent his son to die on the cross for me. I don't care what my problems are. It's a God that is bigger than that problem. And so that's why Nehemiah over and over again focuses on God and takes it back to him. And that's exactly what we need to be doing as well. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in our scripture passage. When you finally accomplish your goal, when you finally get there, it'll be a sign that God was with you. When you finally accomplish your goal, it will be a sign that God was with you. This is one of the, the little things I've seen in Scripture several times, is that we want God to, like, show up and do this, this powerful thing, and God says, follow me, and when it's accomplished, people are going to be amazed at what happened. With Moses left Egypt, uh, he said to God, how do I know you're going to be with me? You know what God said? When you get the people out of Egypt and uh, they're in freedom, then you'll know that I was with you. Okay, there's a few steps before that happens, uh, you know, right there. And so God says, when you get to the end, you're going to see I was with you all along. Let's see how that happens, verses 15 and 16, verses 15 and 16. Sorry, I'm having trouble with my microphone today. So the wall was completed on the 25th day of Elul in 52 days. And when all of our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized this work had been done with the help of our God. The wall was completed in 52 days. Now, didn't it seem like this had been a really long time? Constant opposition constant trouble and yet in 52 days the wall was finished it took almost 50 days for this sermon series they built the wall 
in the same amount of time we did this sermon series. Constant opposition, constant trouble, rubble everywhere, people trying to stop them, and in less than two months, they rebuilt the wall. It was nothing short of amazing. And what was the result in verse 16? All of their enemies looked around with fear because they knew this was something that could have only happened because of God. You couldn't have done something like this on your own. It had to be the work of God. You see, when God does a work, people are impressed and noticed, or people are afraid and noticed. But one thing for sure is people notice. Too many times as a church, what we do is what we can do as people. And we work hard and we accomplish a few things. And the world looks at us and the world says this, man, that's a hard working church. But every once in a while, we let God in. And we let God have control. And then the world looks at your life and the church and they say, man, Look at what God is doing because it can't be explained anywhere else. When you try to put your life together and you try to get closer to God and you try to do things that really matter, there will be opposition. And that's a great reminder for us today. It's not going to end. It's constantly going to be there. But when you have done it, people will glorify God and they'll say, look at what God has done. I think we've seen that in the last 10 days uh, in Wilmore, Kentucky at Asbury College. Uh, probably a lot of you have heard about what's going on at, at Asbury College uh, there where they've had a, a revival meeting that is, is the roof crashing in on us or something? It's okay. We may have troubles here, but we'll get through it. Okay. You've probably heard what's going on at Asbury College there uh, over the last 10 Thursday after chapel service, just a handful of students stayed to have prayer. And that time of prayer uh, just kept going on, and more and more people kept coming in. Uh, you've got a, got a picture here uh, of the campus and what's going on, and, and some of the students praying there uh, at the campus and, and all that they're seeing. And as soon as this began to take place, and people started to come in from everywhere to be a part of this, the very first thing that happened was really interesting. The very first thing that happened was instant criticism of what was going on. And uh, I found that really interesting. Here were some of the things that were criticized. There wasn't enough preaching. That had to have been Baptist uh, because, you know, uh, we, we believe in the preaching. Uh, there was dancing. No, that, 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 no, just kidding. There wasn't enough preaching. The music wasn't very good. It was like a bad high school uh, student uh, ministry. It wasn't as organized as it should have been. The people showing up are just bandwagon Christians waiting to see what's going on when they get there. Even the school and the students begin to complain a little bit. We have trouble having classes. People are looking in the doors when teachers are trying to teach. People are coming down hallways, going in the wrong place. They're tearing up our yard, parking out in the grass. Uh, the students were saying, we can't even walk around campus anymore. And so suddenly all of this began to take place and people began to immediately criticize and to throw cold water on what was going on. And people have asked me, do you think this is a real revival? And what I would say is, well, I, I explained to me what a real revival is. In a town of 6,000 people with a school of 1,800, over 50,000 people have been there in the last 10 days. 
Uh, it's, and if those people come and pray and get closer to God, even if there wasn't enough preaching, even if the music wasn't very good, even if it wasn't quite enough organized, if 50,000 people came and repented and people were saved and people gave their life to God, you can call it wherever you want to call it. I'm pretty happy with it going on myself. You see, God works in ways we look back and we say, that could only be God. Couldn't be anything else. And because of this, there's now similar things going on at Cedarville College and Samford University. Uh, Samford has had their chapel filled for the last several days uh, around the clock, as has Cedarville. Uh, it's spread to Campbellsville College, other places uh, that are going on. And, and you look at that, and the only explanation is that God's doing something. If you want God to do something in your life, it starts with you going to God. You can go to Asbury, you can go anywhere you want, you can go to Cedarville, you can go to Sanford, but it begins with your heart and the way you come to God. Nehemiah starts this whole thing by seeing a problem. The city of Jerusalem, the walls are torn down. His people are in disgrace. He sees the problem, and he takes it to God. And after he took it to God, God did something in 52 days that could only be explained by the power of God. Today, whatever you want in your life, it begins with you taking it to God. Let's have a prayer. Father, we just come and... Our prayer today is that you would help us to truly seek you. When Nehemiah did that, unbelievable things begin to take place. Lord, help us to do that today, to give you our hearts, to give you our minds, and Father, to truly see the amazing things you're going to do in our life and in our church. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on Contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, keyword mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.